So our reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses uh, 5 to 42. And we're going to hear of an event when Jesus was traveling with his disciples um, back from Judea in the south, back north to Galilee. If you would like to follow this, you'll find it on page 1066 in the Church Bibles. Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? 
Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, It's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I have sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. This is the word of God. Well, we're in this uh, journey of Lent. And as we've been looking at this over the last few weeks, uh, we've been on this journey of seeing how uh, Jesus is trying to lift their eyes off the physical. This week, we're, we're continuing that journey. So we've had Jesus uh, talking to the devil and uh, in week one of Lent we saw Jesus being tempted in the desert which kind of reminds us in a world that uh, wants to say there is no spiritual, that that, that conversation reminds us that there is good and evil, there is uh, spiritual forces at work and therefore we need to be attuned to that. Last week we looked at Nicodemus and uh, once again Nicodemus had an interesting conversation with Jesus about the physical and the spiritual, about being born again and Jesus is saying lift your eyes to the spiritual and then today we get a conversation between a Samaritan woman as they argue over which physical location uh, to worship God but they also argue over uh, this idea of both the disciples and the woman around Jesus saying lift your eyes to a spiritual image I'm giving you uh, but they keep lowering it back to a, a physical image. Next week we actually switch and we go to the raising of Lazarus where it's a reminder Jesus is kind of giving us a foretaste that the spiritual actually starts to convert the physical. So we're, we're sort of going on a journey lifting our eyes to the spiritual and then we'll go back to how the, the kingdom of God breaks in. And that's the idea that we're talking about over this period of time. I also um, want to warn you that I, I will probably geek out a little bit on the geography today, being a former um, geography teacher, so it, it kind of interests me. But there is significance to this. There is significance to this. The first thing that you need to know 
um, is that uh, Galilee is, is up in the north, up near the, um, the top of this, the, the area that was promised to the Jews. And so when Moses tells Joshua to take the people into the promised land, Galilee is, is up in the north part. There's, there's a part in the middle that we, we now know of as Samaria at the time of Jesus. And what happened was when the Jews were taken off in exile, some of them came back in dribs and drabs, but when they came back, they, they, whether it was Jews or early Jews or a remnant or whatever, but the, the, the area known as Samaria was a disputed territory and the people that the Jews found in that area had a claim to that. And then there was uh, Judea, which is where Jerusalem is. And so if you were in the north in Galilee and you wanted to go to Judea to go to the temple, you actually had to go through Samaria. And because of this contested over the dispute over the, the area and the fact that the Samaritans, who were the name of the group that lived there, decided that they would build a temple on the mountain, which I'll talk about in a moment, the fact that they built a temple there and didn't go to Jerusalem made it more disputed. But the fact that they were at one point going to the temple and that this woman says about the Messiah, so she's aware of the Messiah, means that obviously there's a, a, a former relationship that takes place here. Jesus, in one of his journey, goes around Samaria and this time he decides to go through Samaria. And he goes through Samaria and he encounters a woman at the well. Now, in the time of Jesus, uh, you would go out to the well. If you didn't live near living water, which is running water or fresh water that's in a stream, and we'll get to that image in a minute. If you didn't live near living water or a stream, then you'd have to go to a well. And this was a well-known well called Jacob's Well. But you would go out in the early part of the day or you would go out in the late afternoon. You wouldn't go out in the heat of the day unless, like Jesus, you're a traveller and you're travelling and therefore you have to stop. You're, you're travelling in the heat of the day but you have to stop to get some water. So why is this woman who's in the town just near this well, why is she coming out during the heat of the day? And they begin a conversation while they're at this well. So they've got a well there and she can draw water from the well to take back to her household. And Jesus says, can you give me a drink? Again, it's another one of these conversations that starts to happen between the physical and the spiritual. This idea of still water is problematic. A well can go bad. Someone in, uh, uh, who was attacking a city might even throw an animal down a well in order to uh, make the, the water contaminated. So this idea of a well being still water means that it's, it's okay to drink while it's, while it's okay to drink, but it can go bad. The ideal source of water was what they called living water which is fresh water, this idea of a stream. So if you live near a river that's flowing, that's living water and that's a lot safer to drink. We even know that today. If you go hiking in, in the high country of, of Victoria and you see a pond, 
you might be curious as to whether that water is drinkable. If you see living water or a stream, then you think, okay, there's probably a safer chance drinking that. So it's possible, it's even uh, conceivable that this idea of living water that Jesus talks about, she could confuse that for a stream and she could be looking around physically saying, well, there's only this well here, this well belongs to our ancestors, not your ancestors, where are you going to get this living water from? Is there a stream nearby that we don't know about? And yet Jesus is asking her to lift her eyes off the physical to the spiritual. All of these physical analogies in this um, conversation shows a lot of confusion in this conversation. Jesus keeps asking her to lift her eyes to the spiritual and she keeps arguing on the physical. She keeps arguing about whether he's got a cup to drink from. But what Jesus is actually offering her is the true well of life, the true source of meaning. Now, this image of water being polluted, the, 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 the well can be polluted by an invading army, but there's another sort of metaphor that Jesus is saying here. He's saying that the living water that I offer you is pure water, but it's also an image of pure teaching, the truth, which we'll get to as well. Jesus is saying that the water that you can drink that's feeding your soul is polluted. It's contaminated by false teaching. It's contaminated by this cultural argument between the Samaritans and the Jews. The fact that Jews going from Galilee to Jerusalem have been attacked by Samaritans is why many Jews would walk around Samaria. So this idea of the water being contaminated by the culture, by the false teaching, and Jesus is saying, you keep drinking from that, but I'm going to offer you pure teaching, pure source of life, this spiritual life that will never leave you thirsty. We are drinking from a contaminated well of our culture all of the time. We are drinking from a well that's contaminated and as I've said before, we live in a culture, particularly here in the West, that's telling us that there, there, there's nothing beyond what we see in the physical. And yet those of us who put their faith and trust in Jesus know that there's more, but sometimes we, we, we are so embodied into the community and the culture that we live in that we're sometimes drinking from the well that's contaminated rather than turning to this fresh drinking water. Jesus is actually offering the woman at the well and us today truth that comes from his Father in heaven. Notice that it's actually, and, and this is where the disciples come in and, and, and I think um, the, the gospel writer is, is throwing this conversation with the disciples in to, to say, it's not just this woman, the disciples are no better. Because they say, come on, master, have something to eat and, and then he lifts their eyes and they go back to the physical as well. Did someone come out and feed him while we were away? That was our job. They're as confused as this woman because they keep going to the physical when Jesus is asking to lift their eyes to the spiritual. 
There's this idea of two mountains that we get from uh, Deuteronomy. Moses, um, if you remember in the Old Testament, Moses actually is not allowed to go into the promised land. So he gives this, uh, a lot of instructions in Deuteronomy to the Jewish people to how to take the promised land. And he says to them to go in and he says, I want you to be reminded of the fact that if you follow God, there will be blessings And if you don't follow God, then there'll be curses that go with that. And he says, to remind you of that, I want you to go up one mountain and declare the blessings of God. And I want you to go up the other mountain and and declare the curses that go with not following God. So when you look at these mountains, these mountains will remind you of which way you want to follow. And, And... Scholars suggest that this conversation, this water conversation, is taking place on the mountain where the blessings were declared. And so, the Samaritan woman is possibly saying, from history, from Deuteronomy, from what Moses commanded our people to do, we were to worship on the mountain of blessings. We were to avoid the mountain of curses. Because if we were spending time, metaphorically, on the mountain of curses, that meant we weren't following the way of God. But the thing is, the Samaritans decided that they would take that literally and they would build a temple on the mountain of blessing so they would physically stay in the mountain of blessing and worship God on the mountain of blessing. And the Jews were saying, after they rebuilt the temple, They were saying, no, 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 you don't worship on that mountain. That mountain is to remind us of the blessings, but we're to worship in the temple. And they rebuilt the temple so that they could worship there. And this argument arose as to whether you are to worship up on the mountain of blessing or you're to worship in the temple. And Jesus is coming along and saying, it's not about a physical location to worship our Lord. But notice that the woman after being made aware of the fact that Jesus knows that she's had five husbands, she diverts the conversation to something that's less personal, less confronting to something that's a culture war between these two cultures. And just as an aside, I wonder whether the reason that we exist in a culture that has never had more culture wars is because it's easier to argue about the culture wars than to get personal about what's wrong internally. And so she diverts from her sin, from the things that she is hiding from everybody. She's coming out in the middle of the day so she doesn't have to have a conversation with the other women in town. She's covering up with lies and diversionary tactics what's sinful in her own life. Jesus wants to bring out the truth. He brings out the truth not to punish her. He doesn't punish her. He doesn't want to embarrass her. Notice he does this when nobody else is around. If the goal was to embarrass her, he'd take her back into town and then get her to make a public declaration of repentance. He does this with grace and mercy because he wants to give her freedom. 
I love that about Jesus. Jesus doesn't reveal things in truth to punish us. He doesn't reveal things in truth to embarrass us. He wants to give us freedom. He wants to liberate us from the things that are weighing down. He wants to liberate us from the things that we're hiding in secret. He wants to help us experience true freedom when we know that there is no reason to hide. And Jesus also wants this woman to worship in spirit, yes, because the spirit is where the kingdom of God is. The spirit is not just saying all of those charismatic things. Actually, worshipping in spirit is, is saying that it's a spiritual conversion. Go back to Nicodemus. It's a spiritual conversion, not a physical conversion that's taking place. When, we, when Jesus is encouraging us to say that we worship in spirit and truth, he's saying that we worship in the kingdom of God, not just in a physical location, but we also worship in truth, which is the freedom because we have no reason to hide any longer. So Jesus is encouraging us with this encouragement to the woman, but it's an encouragement to us as well today. This woman is actually a foretaste of the Great Commission. At the Great Commission, which we, we've also done in the last few weeks, um, in the book of Acts, it says, go and be my witnesses. And, and notice that this woman actually doesn't have a theology degree. She doesn't really even know much about Jesus. She doesn't even still fully understand what it would mean to convert to be a Jew or, or, or to follow what Jesus' teaching is. She goes back into town and she witnesses to what Jesus has done for her. Notice at the start of the story, she comes out in the middle of the day because she's hiding the truth about herself. And she doesn't go back into town and say, come and meet this Jesus, what he taught me is phenomenal. Notice what she does, she comes back into town and says, everything that you know about me, everything that we've been pretending doesn't exist, everything that I've been hiding from you, here is what it is, I'm going to tell you now because Jesus has liberated me from the weight of all of that. She is the one who initiates going back in repentance, telling everybody the sins that she's done, that she's been hiding for so long because she's free of the guilt and the shame and the, the weight of all of that. Jesus comes to liberate us in spirit and truth by revealing truth to us but it's up to us as to whether we reveal that truth to the world around us. Notice Jesus didn't command her to go back into the town and, and, and reconcile with everybody. She's the one that takes the initiative to do that. And in order for her to give witness to what's going on in her life, more people come and hear about Jesus. They all knew about this woman. It's not like she had been lying to the point where nobody knew what, to, what was going on in her life. And the reality is, we're not lying well enough that people know, don't know what's going on in our life as well. But when we worship in truth, we're free of the lies. We bring it out into the light. She openly talks about her previous sin and how the Messiah saves her. It transforms her life and that's what becomes the basis 
of her witness to everybody else. She now worships in truth rather than in secret. But she also worships in the spirit because she knows it's not about physical wells and physical bread, but it's about a spiritual kingdom. I I think that's what's been rather interesting in the time that we're living in. And again, I don't know whether you follow some of the stuff that's happening with revivals across the world. But what started at a, a, a university in Kentucky is starting to just pop up in various places around the world. Uh, this morning I heard about um, Manchester, Hackney, um, Blackburn. There are places where people are now, just as in this university, where people came forward and repented, but all of their sins they brought out into the light so that they could be free from them. That's starting to happen in other places around the world. It's probably happening, not in big revivals, but in ones and twos in places as people start to realise that as we bring stuff into the light, we actually become free of it. And and the, 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 the truth that we are actually hiding when we're free of the guilt and shame of that, we can bring it out into the light and it can actually be the point at which we witness to the good news of what Jesus has done in our lives. This is not a call for us to know more theology. This is not a call for us to be better at apologetics. This is not the call for us to start learning how to convince people about the truths of the Bible. It's a time for us to witness what the Holy Spirit has done in our life to witness to what Jesus has done into our life and to witness to how God, our Father, has called us into a purpose. And when we do that, that becomes the witness, like the woman, the Samaritan woman, that becomes the witness that fuels the Great Commission. But I also want to put the caveat on things for our day that the spiritual wants to break into the physical. I'm going to take you on that journey next week and, and as we journey to, um, to Easter, we'll, we'll actually see that the cross becomes the ultimate symbol of how the spiritual breaks into the physical. So, so it's not like the, the, the physical is dirty and therefore we need to escape from that. That's kind of Gnosticism and the church rejected Gnosticism. We, we are actually Christians, the Christian faith is about a spiritual kingdom of God, but that that spiritual kingdom of God wants to break into the physical reality of our world. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So we need to think about the physical. We need to think about Christians gathering in the physical in order that we can worship God in spirit and truth. So, Another caveat, you you do not need to meet in this church in order to worship God in spirit and truth. You don't need to come here. But but I don't know about you, but, and and I've had this conversation with Vicky, and and Vicky and I agree with one another, so if you disagree with that, that's fine, that's fine. But when we are out in the world, we can pray to God, of course we can. But, but Vicky and I both feel when, w- when we come onto this property, which for 140 years has been declared as a space where God wants to show His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, 
we feel more spiritual when we come onto this property. We, we feel that this church is, is dedicated to God and building God's kingdom and therefore what we do here actually speaks to us in a way that when we're out in the world it doesn't. So my encouragement to you is, and, and I think we saw this in 2020 when we couldn't meet physically, yes the church tried to learn ways to, to, to present the gospel so we didn't have to meet physically but I think many of us actually realise we prefer to meet physically. So my encouragement to us is, is, is that we work to see the kingdom of God, which is spiritual, break into our physical reality. But I also think we need to make sure that we don't stop meeting together, that, that, that we, we, we keep meeting together and realising that there are ways that we can strengthen one another when we meet physically. So I know this sounds like, a, like an ad, it's not, but just, 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 just get in the room for Easter. I, 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 we, we try to preach the gospel every Sunday, but it's like on, on the Easter weekend, we, we actually stretch out the truths of the gospel and we soak up each little part. And I think if you actually journey with us through the journey of Easter, you'll get so much more out of it. Get in the room for, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, looking particularly at what happens at the Last Supper on Thursday night, as we do that, you'll see more meaning behind what we do here every fortnight. And then on Holy Thursday night, we'll actually come back in, that'll happen in the cafe, we'll come into the church and we'll have a time of prayer. And that, that'll kind of connect us with, the, with the, 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 the story of the agony in the garden where Jesus is wrestling with God. And if Jesus wrestles with God in a good way, Shouldn't we get in the room and wrestle with God as well? And then on Good Friday, we're going to have the journey of the cross and, and we're actually going to probably start in the hall and, and, and go on a physical journey through our property to actually look at some characters on the way to the cross. And ultimately, we're going to put a cross up here and you're going to have a chance to kneel before the cross and, and lay down what you need to lay down. But we also know that, that journey is too hard for some people. So after we do the journey to the cross on that day, we're just going to go into the cafe and have hot cross buns and coffee. And, and if that's all somebody in your friendship circles can do, invite them. If they can only come for hot cross buns and coffee, invite them. It's a step. And then on, on um, Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. That's the source and summit of our faith. If, if it's not for the resurrection, the cross is kind of meaningless. And so, it's not an ad, it's literally just an encouragement, get in the room. And, and I know that some of us are travelling, like this year, the people at St Columns are travelling more than, than ever before, I think. And that's great. I want to travel too, so it's not, I'm not having a go at you for, for travelling. Enjoy your travel. So, if you're not here at St Columns for Easter... You, you could watch us online, but I encourage you to find a church wherever you are and get in the room. Because sometimes when other Christians gather, God is able to move in those spaces. So I encourage you, get in the room for Easter. But my final encouragement to us is, let this be a spiritual renewal that takes place. Let God do an amazing spiritual renewal in you. 
as we gather physically to, to celebrate Easter and, and in the journey leading up, we've still got a few more weeks before that, let God do a spiritual renewal in you. Just as I said, when Jesus went out into the desert, he was able to face the temptation of the devil because he had 40 days of prayer behind him. You, you could just drift into Easter and you can get in the room and, I'm, and I know God is going to do something amazing for you on the Easter weekend. I've never had people get in the room for Easter and not have something significant happen for them. But imagine if you can get in the room for Easter with this journey of renewal leading up to Lent, just as Jesus had 40 days behind him. Imagine what can happen for you. Gracious God, we praise and thank you. We thank you that you're taking on us on this journey of spiritual renewal. Lord, if there's anything that we're hiding behind lies, we pray that we would be courageous enough to repent of that, that we'd bring it out into the truth. We also, Lord, pray for your spirit, that your spirit would be guiding us and that as we worship in spirit and truth, we would see greater freedom, not just for ourselves, but for those in our sphere of influence. And so we pray that your kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.